What if we were actually supposed to die with Christ? What if we were actually supposed to get into that empty tomb and lay down with him and let him resurrect us? Because the hard part is my sin has been covered, but my story is still real. So I don't have to pay the cost of the repercussions of my life, but it is still my life. This is Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the ambitious Christian man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. All right, welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard. This is leadership, mindset, and development for ambitious Christian men. If that's you, you're in the right place. And guys, we have an awesome episode lined up for you. I've been really excited about this one because there's a guy that I met a few years ago. You probably know him. I'm about to introduce him to you. And I've been following him, and he's really got a mission that he's on right now about masculinity. And before we jump right into that topic, I want to introduce you to him, get a little bit of his background, and just see some of the commonalities that he has with us because he's not only a musician, he's also an entrepreneur. And he's also on a mission to reclaim and restore masculinity and call you and me higher into the position that God created us and called us to occupy. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my very special guest this week. I got Mr. Jake Hamilton. Jake, how you doing, man? Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, man. I'm glad we could finally do this. Yeah, man. I've been looking forward to it. Psyched to have this conversation conversation with you. Um, hey, Jake, just for our listeners, for those that don't know you, if you could just give us a little bit of your background. Um, obviously, you've been in ministry for a long time. You are a musician. You have multiple records out. I was listening to your latest single today, just kind of get in the zone for this one. Um, so if you could just kind of walk us through a little bit for the guys that know you and the guys that don't know you, just your, your music background and your ministry background as we set the stage for the conversation we're, we're going to get into. Yeah. Um, basically, we planted a church when we were about 19 by accident. I came back to the church, bought a $50 guitar when I was 18 years old, worked with a camp, uh, worked at a camp with inner city kids in like Compton, Long Beach, like that whole area in LA, because that's where we're, we were originally from. So we were down there working with kids from the inner city um, with the Salvation Army camp, like I said, and I would lead worship there because the worship leader left in the middle of the night one night and uh, basically left a note that said, this place sucks. And so they're like, who else owns a guitar? They're like, oh, Jake does. And he's loud and obnoxious. So we'll just, you lead worship. I knew two chords. And so I had to make up songs on the spot for kids. And that's how I started songwriting. That's how I started leading worship. And when we came back, I interned at our Baptist church, which we did for a couple years before we ended up planting a church of young people, which was like an emergent church, church within a church model years and years ago, some might remember. And so we had a church of 60 to like 600 over like four or five months. I mean, it was like the craziest thing. And we were doing a ton of art because I was actually interviewing for Disney at the time because I thought that was what I was going to do. I thought I was going to go, you know, be an animator and be sort of a creative uh, brainstormer, like they have Imagineers, which is what they call them there. I was like, that's what I want to be. So that's what I was targeting. Um, I used all that in the church for about eight years. That's where I met my wife, uh, wrote a ton of songs, and then got fired from the church we planted because we met uh, Holy Spirit, which was delightful. So we met Holy Spirit because my daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And so I either realized like I am at a crossroads with God, like either he really sucks or there's some things I don't know about him. And so I was like, well, let's just go with there's some things I don't know about him. That took me on a journey to Kansas City, the International House of Prayer and Bethel Church in Redding, California, where we currently live um, right now. And that sort of gave us the space to explore God in a brand new way. Um, and when we were let go of the church that we planted, we ended up planting a house of prayer. We did 24-7 prayer for about three years. Um, that's where I wrote all the songs that got recorded with Jesus Culture because they came in and, you know, said, hey, we want to put you on our label. There really is no label, but we'd love to have you on it. <laughs> And so we were like one of the first artists that Jesus Culture had on their label. And that was a wild ride for four years. We did that with Jesus Culture, traveled all over the place. Um, about 2010, uh, we slowed everything down to basically focus on family. It was really hard on my marriage. And so uh, we had some 
fathers that came in and there was no addiction, no pornography, none of that like extramarital stuff. It was really just, I was a workaholic. And because I was work a workaholic for Jesus, everybody gave me a high five instead of telling me to slow down and focus on my family. And so I finally slowed everything down. About that time, we started uh, like a little bit of a label with some friends just to get people recorded. Um, always had like entrepreneurial stuff going on on the side. So I'm just trying to empower people every chance I get using every resource we have. Um, long story short, as our marriage got better, uh, we started doing stuff for marriages and then ended up in a place where we were doing stuff for men because we got basically a word that was... Um, Someone encouraged us that said, hey, listen, you really want to help marriages, go get men. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So the last handful of years, as my boys were becoming teenagers, I was like, let's let's figure out how to do this in my house. And then as we figured out how to do it in my house with my kids, we invited eight men and we've been meeting for about three years here in my garage. And then that led to what we now call the fight. So it's a, I mean, it's a crazy journey of like over 20 years of ministry, always having some sort of artistic side hustle as well from design work to branding work, website, all that stuff. We kind of do a little bit of everything, but that allows us the flexibility to really focus on the type of ministry we want to do and where God calls us to do without being tied down to uh, a paycheck and, you know, figuring it out traditionally. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there, Jake. That was an awesome synopsis. Um, <laughs> I got a synopsis of 25 years, but yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, I got it. That's, that's incredible. We can, <laughs> we can stay on that for a while. Um, you said a couple things. I can't dig into everything there, but the first thing you said, you know, like I, I didn't know that was your backstory, the way you started doing music. It was kind of like, Hey, we need a spot. You're here. You got, you got an instrument. Let's go. Um, I, was, I wanted to ask you, because a lot of our guys that are listening, and I know that we're all exploring this, is like, what's my mission? What's my purpose? Like this, These are big questions that men wrestle with. And what was that journey like for you? Because did you have it in your heart that you wanted to be a musician? Did you feel a call on your life? Yeah. So walk, walk us through that a little bit, because this opportunity opens up. And then how do you decide, like, this is, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. Were you looking for favor? Like, I'd like to understand that a little That's bit. That's awesome. I, I Just FYI, it's going to be like, I am the non-traditionalist and non-conformist in most of these worlds. So just, uh, I usually, I really love language and really hate common language. And so even a word like calling, I'm like, we end up waiting for this sort of supernatural bolt of lightning to hit us. And then we go, oh, it's my calling. It's like, well, no, just use what's in your hands. When Moses was called to go to the Israel, lights. He was, Moses was like, well, I, I stutter and I don't have anything. And he's like, well, what's in your hand? He's like a stick. Yeah, that'll do. And it's like, for most of us, we don't even pay attention to the stick in our hand. We're waiting for the $10 million somebody's supposed to give us. And so I'm like, I'm just sort right. of over the word calling personally right now, just because I know a bunch of young people too. And I talk to men and they're like, well, I'm just waiting for a word from the Lord. I'm like, what in the hell is in your mm -hmm. hand? Use that and see what yeah. happens. And that was the way it was for me. I didn't want to be a worship yeah. leader. I wasn't signed up. To, I barely at that point, I didn't know anything. I mean, I felt like I can't sing songs about Jesus. I barely know him myself. And they're like, go for it, buddy. And I'm like, dude, that is the way that I think most men actually need to get into the thing that they're created to do. Cause it's like, they're so busy wondering what they don't have that they pay so little attention to what they do have because what they do have is never good enough, you know? And for me, I was like, I got a guitar and a voice and they're like, well, there's nobody else here. So who's going to do it? And I'm like, I'll do it. And I looked like an idiot. 90% of the time I looked like a moron. You know what I mean? But if you're not, if you're, if you're not trying to prove anything and your ego's not stopping you, like, I'll run into it and let's just see what comes out. Yeah. All right. So as we follow that, like, was it easy for you? Did things click together? Was there resistance along the way? And what did, the, like, did you have feelings of like, hey, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this? Or was there a time where you're like, all right, like, I know, I know this is what it is. Again, it's for us, it's about following the narrative that's in front of you. So what is in my hands and what story is in front of me? So what's in my hands is this guitar right now. It's what I got. So, and it seems to give me a little bit of ability to lead. And right now it's with kids. Then I came back and returned for the church. They're like, oh, you play guitar. Why don't you lead some worship here? Cool. I learned a few more chords, learned a few more songs, wrote a few songs of my own and just followed that narrative where it led. At the same time, I was on the side doing a ton of 
large scale murals for like businesses and schools. And I was painting banners. I mean, I'm only 19 years old at the time, 1920, still living at my parents' house. So I'm just like, you know, doing a basic internship at a church, driving my business, which is growing and thriving and awesome. And I'm just doing, being faithful with, what, with what's right in front of me. And I, dude, over my career of like worship leading, dude, I have faced tons of resistance. I do not sound like a worship leader. I don't know how many times I could tell you, you know what I mean? Where they're like, um, I'm not sure if that's worship, you know? So <laughs> it's like, they're like, uh, could you sing that? You know, can you sing that nice song we all know? You know, I mean, I get asked that all the time. So I'll get invited to some place and they'll just want me still to this day. They'll be like, well, can you play these type of songs? And honestly, I just now I just go, nah, I'm good. Like, I don't need to come. I'll give you a list of worship leaders who do that. I just know who I am. And I'm like the loud rock. Like, I'm not going to play the norm. My songs aren't like normal fit in your Sunday worship set. But I don't think they're any less worshipful. And I don't think that they're any less worship music. It's just, for me, I'm like, I, I just don't play. I just, I haven't really played it safe. And so when you don't play it safe, if you don't have the heart to be rejected over and over again, yet keep yourself stable, you weren't, you're just go get a job and let somebody be your boss. Like you're not made for entrepreneurship, number one. And, and I would say there's a ton of story work that we could get into with your story because at the end of the day, like you still don't know who you are and you're like a 45, 50 year old man. Like that's a problem. Like that's a real issue. Like let's forget about the calling for a second. Who the heck are you? And if I didn't have that first, like I'm okay with who I am and I don't care how it comes out because I'm not here to impress anyone. And as long as my heart is clean before God and I'm serving my house first, everything else will work itself out eventually. I'm not really worried about it. But that that journey wasn't as clean as like, and then, and then I did this. And then I made this maneuver. I'm like, the people who I've seen change the planet the most effectively just followed the path that was right in front of them and didn't question it when everybody else did. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to get into that journey a little bit. I want to see some of those highlights in your life. And you obviously have had, I would assume, some strong men that came around you to give you this sense of identity. And that's where your mission's coming from? Or I'd like to hear no, about I that. No, I basically got kicked in the balls over and over and over <laughs> again, man. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I had a, I had a couple of guys. Over, I had a, the truth is I had a good dad. He was the one who handed me being a workaholic. So he did give me that. Um, which that had to be, that had to be ground out of me by a really amazing wife where I'm like, Oh, service to God. And, and it's hard because in ministry you can work, you know, hundred hours and everyone's like, it's for Jesus, you know? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Why is my family falling apart then? That's not working. Um, but I had a really great dad who was in touch with his emotions. Um, all of them, including anger, you know, but uh, over the course of my life, he just, was always there. You know what I mean? So I had a good man as a dad. Um, and I had a handful of friends, like we were kind of ride or die. And over the time, over the course of time, I had peers. Um, but Chris Valentin really is the one who stands out as like a dad who showed up. And it's not like he's consistent in our lives or anything like that. Chris Valentin from Bethel Church, he, um, he just showed up at all the right times. Basically just told me I suck as a husband. <laughs> so it was like, it was like, but all the other men I've ever been around just massively wounded me. And I had to have yeah. enough guts to just go, I'm not going to, I'm going to let it wound me, but not mark me and determine mm. like bitterness and things like that. Now, not that I haven't yeah. had my moments, but it's sure. very rare that I've had, like, I'm looking for a wise elder. I'm looking for someone who's a little further ahead. That's been the radical. And I've had a few of those touch points with some people in a moment but man, I wish I, I'm trying to grow up the men who will be that to a generation because I didn't have that. That's my goal. I, I, I was always taught if you're looking for something in your life you don't have, you're probably supposed to become it. And so I'm like, I've never seen this. Like, who's going to hold this space for me when I feel like a piece of crap and everyone's like, you're not really a worship leader yet. You're doing it in stadiums. Like, what do you do with that? You know, and where are those men that are going to hold that with me and go, dude, keep doing it. Yeah. Keep going. You're yeah, the man. So it's like it's like the problem you saw. That's the problem that you feel. I'm gonna go bring the solution to that because I've Absolutely. experienced it. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, in this space, there's no men to hold to to hold value for other men. 
like to go, no, go do it different. That's why we got so many men bowing down to, you know, uh, there's a song like, uh, you know, King's Kaleidoscope. He has that line. He's like, he's like, I'm just a puppet to pastor. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm cool with pastors. I love leadership. I love being around healthy leadership. I will submit my life to healthy leadership but I'm also not going to play games when I feel like I'm being run over or abused, or especially when I see it happening to other men. I'm like, I'm not going to stand for that. Like, where are the men? We are the most dangerous men on earth with Christ at our center, filled with the Holy spirit, living in the kingdom. We're, we're completely unstoppable. We don't need the government. We don't need politics. We don't need any of this stuff. We're the dangerous ones. And I'm like, where are those people, where are the men who are convincing men of that? Like you're filled with the spirit of the living God. You are living in a kingdom that's from another age. Like stop complaining over politics, man. My king's on a throne forever. Like if we're still trying to figure that out, dude, like, nah, man, that's a too small of a game for me. And I'm like, I want to be the guy who shows up and goes, you go do this thing, man. You got that on your heart? Go fail 20 times. And I'll be there when you get back to remind you that hurt, didn't it? Yeah. And I'm going to slap you on the butt and you're going to keep going, you know? And that to me, that's what I needed with love and tenderness. Not like you suck and I'm trying to take advantage of you, but dude, go hard, try something new, see what happens. Have you heard about the unfair advantage challenge? Guys, I just released a brand new challenge. It's totally free. It's an email experience. You can sign up at the link below. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's the heart of a father, like a real father. That's your cheerleader. That's your coach. That's going to encourage you and also correct you and say, now it's time to sit down. Let me tell you what you just did wrong there too. So I love it, man. You're, you're talking my language. Um, we're bringing up a few things here. So like, let's just have the culture conversation for a minute because we're talking about culture. And I think, I think we're talking about church culture a little bit. Like, how are we doing with men right now? Like what's happening? Um, what's the current state of men? Maybe we start big culture first, Jake, like big culture in the world. And how's that affecting culture in the church? Cause we, we have a crisis on our hands and I want to hear, I want to hear it from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a mass the crisis the the crisis that we have is a disconnection from our deep mysterious tension-filled reality that we don't want to agree with because we become a theo we become a theologically driven information driven culture. So um, that's why we have the issue with media. That's why we have the issue with all this, because we don't have men who can stand in tension and actually hold it well. Like my whole thing that I tell men all the time is I'm like, men go first. That is the marker of like a Christian man. Men go first, but not in systems and structures. Men go first in servant in servanthood and sacrifice. They choose to show up when no other man will show up and they will hold the tension for those who cannot yet. They become pillars and strengths because they can live in mystery and tension. And we don't do that. We live, we live in complete dualism. We are like, it's black, it's white, it's right, it's wrong, it's God, it's the devil. It's, it's too much duality. Like all of us who have lived for more than five minutes know that it's not real. Yet when we go into a church or we go into culture, that's what we're experiencing. And the reason the, the culture is experiencing it is because that is what the church is teaching. The church historically was meant to hold the tension and the space that culture itself could not hold. That's why we had priests. That's why we had monks. That's why we had desert fathers. That's why we had these men who lived in the tension, men and women. But we really, as men, we held that space of tension so well that it, that it eradicated fear and gave birth to some ridiculous faith. But we don't do that anymore. We don't have men who do that. I'm not, I'm, dude, I'm not worried about pornography and all that crap. I'm not worried about that. Those are just identity issues that are like fruit. I don't need to be pulling fruit off people's trees. Like I'm not, that's not what I'm here for. You remove bad fruit, but have bad roots. You're going to get bad fruit again. So we got to deal with some of the root issues, which I don't know who the hell I am. I never had a dad who is there like most. Most men never had a father, so they have a deep father wound. Well, what's a father wound? A mother wound and a father wound are very easily described. A mother, a mother is supposed to be the one who loves you unconditionally, even when you suck. So when you suck, mom goes, you're amazing. You're the greatest thing that's ever been. A dad is the first one in love who chooses you. 
So if you never felt chosen or you don't feel preferred or you don't feel like you can connect with men, that is a father wound. B very basic definition. We can go way deep into that stuff. But the reality is we're carrying those wounds and we don't even know where we fit in because we never have a dad go, you're chosen, you're safe, you're good. You suck in these areas. We're going to work on it. Don't worry. You're still ultimately love. I pick you. And then a mom going, you're the greatest thing ever. You're the best. You're, you could do no wrong, you know? And if you never got that, that's actually more damaging than a father wound. Cause then you have no value system to work from. Cause you don't even know if you just are loved in general. And now when we do that, we start working overtime to get picked, to get preferred, to get loved. And we're seeing that in culture. So my two things are we got duality living all over the place because we don't have a church that knows how to hold tension. We got rid of the Eucharist and put in a pulpit and said, my opinion is bigger than the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And then we have on the other side, we have this reality of mother and father wounds that we've never actually worked through where I don't know who I am. So I can't hold tension and I don't know who I am. Well, no wonder culture as a whole and the church are like totally jacked when raising up men. Yeah. Can you explain the tension thing a little bit more? I want to make sure that the listeners and myself that I fully get it in terms of what is the tension between? What are the two things that and what how does that express itself? So in your life, like there are we end up having to put things in boxes, right or wrong, good or bad, those things. Like, and it's just easier for us, all protection stuff. The problem is, if we're talking about God, if we're going back to the church first, then to culture, we are talking about an eternal, everlasting God who breathed everything into being, holds it all together, all the way down to the smallest nanonuclear value systems that we don't understand yet. And we're pretending on Sundays through a few songs and a short sermon that we get it. Now we understand that. That is the biggest load of junk I have ever heard. Like you don't get it. We don't yeah. understand God. Nobody's right. gonna get to heaven. I don't care how big your ministry is or how many PhDs you have. You're no one is gonna walk up to the man whose flames of his eyes are flames of fire with a sword coming out of his mouth, feet like bronze, white hair glowing like the sun, and is like, that's what I thought. That's what I thought, just like I thought. It's like, no, we're going to get there, see him and go, dude, I had no idea. So first there's the tension of me and my creator pretending like I understand something that is impossible for me and my finiteness to understand. Then on top of that, how that plays out in my life is I have to determine whether or not something is God before I can do anything with it, which is a massive problem because I've got kids and young people who are sitting around doing nothing, literally nothing, waiting on a word from the Lord when your life was the word from the Lord. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, you being so alive today, yeah. that is the word you needed. You being born when you could have been born in any time in human history. I just heard this stat and I was like blown away by it. Over 4,700 people over nine generations had to exist and survive and mate just for the DNA to get into your body for us to be talking right here. 4,700 people, nine generations. And you're not a miracle? Dude, you already won the lottery. Now just do something with it. Don't waste it. And that tension is me going, I'm trying to decide if it's right or wrong or if it's the voice of the Lord before I do anything. And for me, I'll tell you, practically in my life, I believe in healing, but I have a daughter with cerebral palsy. So I get two choices. I can either go, well, he doesn't heal and then build a theology around it. Or I go, he always heals and there must be something wrong with me. And I spend the rest of my life cycling through deliverance ministries and fasting and praying for something that I fully don't understand, but it must be my fault somewhere. So now it's a faith issue. Or this is what I always talk to people about is it's, it's magpie theology or magpie understanding. If you ever seen a magpie, if you look at a magpie from a distance, it is two colors. It is black and it is white. The problem with getting up close to a magpie is that it's blue as well but you don't see it from far away. And so we need the reality of third way thinking. We need a third option thinking, which is tension and mystery, that it is the both and, the yes and no, death and resurrection in the same body, in the same person, in the same time, death and resurrection. Hold in one hand, not two hands. We like when it's Good Friday and then Easter. 
<laughs> but it's not. It's one experience. We hold death and resurrection in our one hand. That is the reality of tension and mystery. When I can embrace the both and and not and feel the conflict, but embrace it. Like if I was to work through either of our stories or what we do with men all the time, is sure. we end up going, let's go back to your eight-year-old self. Okay, you were abused. Okay, so now what the church does is go, let's either get rid of that so that you're a new creation in Christ, or we have to recognize I'm not supposed to get delivered from the eight-year-old version of me, that that's actually a part of who I am. And it was bad and it was wrong and I need to grieve it so that it can be integrated into my life as a part of who I am today. Like it actually made me the way I am. So I can, I'm not saying like we, we, we need to go, uh, make excuses for our abusers. What I'm saying is you can't get rid of the fact that it happened to you. So what are you going to do? Either live in the tension of it makes me the man I am today or spend the rest of your life going, I'm not really worth much because that happened to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I totally me, get it. Right. And I'm watching all these men going, what do I do with the eight-year-old version of myself that was beat by his mom? beat by his dad, abused and abandoned. What do I do with that? I'm like, you grieve over it, right? So for me, it's the beatitude. So if you're, if blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, right? So the first step I have to do in tension is grief. I have to actually learn to grieve and mourn so that the parts of me that are yet healed, not yet healed, I can actually grieve them and experience comforting in that place. Because if I don't get comforted, I'll settle for comfort. And comfort I can buy. So comfort I can buy because that's just escapism. But I'm not getting comforted. I'm just paying for comfort. And that's a totally different ballgame. Medication. That's it. That's my medication, right? That's it. So, wow, this is deep. And I think what you're explaining here, I mean, I, I look at this whole conversation and the work you're doing and what you're explaining. To me, this is real discipleship. This is deep discipleship. Which, which we don't see a lot right now because you have to be super intentional. You have to understand it and you have to have some men in your life that can help you process this because you just don't learn this on your own. This is taught to you somehow and you're coached and instructed through it. That's the, that's the process right now that we're, like I said earlier, we're just trying to raise up those men so that we can do that effectively with the next group that's coming up. Right. All right, so let's let's get into this. Let's talk about, I mean, I think you've given us like pretty much the origin story, but if there's a missing piece, because your story is a whole, it's all one story of like what made Jake and who you are. It's not, and hey, I totally resonate with the boxes. I talk about that all the time. As men, we're very good at building compartments. There's my work box, there's my church box, there's this. Um, yeah, and that sets us up for a lot of failure because we can act a certain way in one place and then we can totally be another person because we just have a different mask that we put on for that box. Absolutely. So, so tell me if there's if there's if you want to take it in a different place, but I want to know if we can go right into this mission of reclaiming masculinity. Is there more to the, I know there's a lot more, but is there a missing piece that we need to understand of this origin story, where this mission came from? I think you've given us a lot of where this mission was born from, but I want to talk about the mission itself, why it's so important and um, why it's something you're focused on right now. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, the way it started was my kids were becoming teenagers and I did not know how to grow up men. So I just really like ended up going like, I need to figure this out because my marriage is great. So like we spent, you know, eight or nine years just rebuilding our marriage, focusing on it, having the conversations, doing the work. And then I ended up in this spot where I was like, okay, I've got two boys that are turning, you know, 13 and 11 at the time. And, um, I was like, I don't know, what do you do with them? And nobody did anything with me. Like I, I didn't, nobody walked me into manhood. So what, what does that crossover look like? And that led me on a series of events, some supernatural and wild and some that are still progressing even today as I'm figuring it out with free thinking children that I'm not trying to control, you know? And I, and the truth is I can't give you answers about kids cause I'm in the middle of it. So when people ask me, I can go, Hey, I, this is where I suck. This is where I'm good. I feel like I'm doing effective in this area, but in all honesty, ask me in 20 years, you know, because that part with the kids, I don't really know because I'm still trying, I'm still trying stuff. 
and I'm just trying to be faithful with what's in my hands. But that was, that was the origin that led me to going, well, if I'm gonna do it for my kids, like who's going to do this with me? Well, let's just put a bunch of dysfunctional men in our, my garage and let's see how this works out. (laughs) I love it. And how is it working out so far? It's beautiful. Like for us, the, we, we use a couple things. Well, I'll give you the short version. The short version is that we, in the midst of processing what I was looking for, for my wife and I, we ended up coming across something called uh, the Allender theory by Danny Allender out of, uh, he has a Seattle uh, theological school or Seattle school of theology, something like that. But um, Dan Allender, he's mentioned a ton of books. I mean, every book on sort of Christian psychology, he's the dude. Like he wrote uh, Bold Love, uh, uh, To Be Told, God Loves Sex. Like there's, he's done a ton of stuff that's amazing, amazing, amazing. But the thing we really adopted was sort of story work. So we were using it in our marriage a ton and then found out how great it is to use with men. So we said, well, what if we just get together? And the the premise is simply this, to, without going into the whole, how he does Allender theory and all that, is basically we created um, our version, the simplified version for us, is we do a story map, which means that you basically build a linear story of your highs and your lows with a middle line. So zero is, you know, very, it's just, normal, then uh, things that were great, things that were terrible on a scale of one to 10. And then you just kind of plot things over the course of your story, plot them on there. A lot of people have heard this as hills and valleys. Uh, Victor Frankl actually uh, came up with it. Um, we utilize that tool just to get the primer like going. And then what we ask men to do is pick one of those stories and write 800 to a thousand words um, on that story, that specific space, not all the stuff around it. Not, this is literally, I'm using this to tell you about my mom. You know, no, it's like the whole thing is based around this moment. And then in that moment, the man reads the story because writing it out and reading it in front of a group of men is terrifying, humbling, vulnerability enters in, grieving starts to enter in. It's very rare. I, I've Any man that does this to any degree, there's, I've never seen a man not cry. Like, it's just not, I mean, men that don't cry are like, I haven't cried in 20 years, you know, <laughs> I'm like, and so they, t- cause they're having to look at it and they look at it and they share it. And then this group of men, what we call it is hold space for them, creates containment is Allender's language. We provide containment for them. And then we ask questions. So it's just, Hey, I heard you say this. What does that mean to you? Hey, this, tell me about this, you know, and we work through that. Well, in that process, what ended up happening was I ran into something called The Work, um, which is a documentary that changed my life. John Tyson's Primal Path um, and then the book Iron John by Robert Bly. That was the catalyst. So Iron John by Robert Bly really was the catalytic connecting piece between all of these things. Because what it did was connect mythological understanding and historical rites of passage two modern sort of tools for how do we do this in a group of men that which then connected me to the mankind project which if you ever heard of but all of that stuff started coming at me at once and we just used our wednesday nights as sort of a place to practice so anything we learned we would just show up in the room and we would go okay let's try this you know and it would be a total crap show most of the time because you don't know what you're doing it's like again just like the guitar stuff I had a tool, I had space. So I'm just like, let's try it. And what happened was our circle kept growing. And so now we do entire weekends for it. But that was really the catalytic stuff that sort of sent us into this space. Awesome. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very familiar with everything you're explaining. So I think this is so needed, it's so deep, and it's missing right now. It really is a missing piece. And you know, you know what, Jake, the world's got it. The world has it in some of their programs, and I've I've seen it there, and I was like, wow, we need this. So I'm glad that you're you're bringing this in, redeeming it, and um and putting it in the proper context because it does get weird. There's a lot of personal development coaching programs in the world that use a lot of this stuff, but then I always walk away saying, okay, I can keep that. That was totally wrong. I didn't participate in this part because they get a little mystical. They get a little bit weird. I've I've seen that firsthand. And I think in the men's space total, even with the conversation we're having here, I mean, there's so many people because right now the gap is real and the world's showing us like, yeah, there's an issue here. There's a gap. And we have 
worldly, secular coaches, people with different ideas. They're not godly. And then a Christian guy doesn't have a lot of places to go, and he has to listen, but then they're always left in this state of tension, a bad tension, a, a state of confusion of, okay, I, I like that. There's something that's resonating. It's pulling on my heart. But at the same time, like I got to get over this issue, and there's something kind of sinful here, and this is weird. And they just, it's a state of confusion. So I, I love, I love what you're doing. Do you want to comment on that a little bit? Because I mean, I always go to what Jesus says, you know, he says, take heed to how you hear. And so I'm a big believer that we just can't hit subscribe to anyone that comes across our feed, that we have to really guard what voices and who we really listen to, especially as we go down the path of doing some deep work. Yeah, I think um, Roar actually talked about it like the cleanest that I've seen because his whole work started, Roar started, everything was men's stuff. I mean, if you read um, Adam's Return, uh, wise men to, uh, Wild Men to Wise Man, uh, The Quest for the Grail, like all these books that he wrote on masculinity, rites of passage, all these things. One of the things that he sort of lands on, and this was from... Uh, uh, this might've been early nineties is he's like, is he basically just said, and he was commenting on all the massive movements at that time. Cause you're talking promise keepers, all that stuff. And they all had something really decent to offer from the mythopoetic men's movement with Robert Bly and those guys to promise keepers doing the stadium stuff, all awesome. But really what it comes down to is you have to have a try two things. You have to have a tribe of 30 and I, uh, a guy named Martin Shaw. He always says that if you can't be seen effectively by 30, you'll try to get seen by 30 million. And that really is what we're watching. We're watching a ton of men who haven't been seen by 30, which is the size of a stereotypical tribe. And so they're spending their lives trying to get seen by 30 million. And so there's the missing piece of being seen by 30 dudes. And then the other part is if I am not radically and ridiculously anchored to Jesus Christ, none of it has staying power. And I tell men this, listen, and this is, again, I am the, again, the weirdo fringe guy. I'm like, if that thing's moving you go, but don't stop, go you. It's weird. And I know it's actually jacked up, but you're getting something from it. Keep going. Cause those who seek will eventually find. So if you land on something and you get, you're going to get stuck just like everyone else, you're going to be stuck in some weird, like circular thinking, masculinity, weird thing that points to nowhere eternal. So of course it's going to fracture and leave you more damaged than when it, when you started, because at the end of the day, if it's not anchored to eternity, who cares? Like it has to be anchored in Christ and Christ alone. The man, Jesus Christ must be at the center. That's what's awesome. I mean, I just spent three days telling Parsifal in the quest for the Holy Grail to 12 men over three days. Well, we don't do that anymore. Like we don't get around fire pits and tell stories, but stories were the corporate we of a tribe. And then my story began to make sense as the singular I in the midst of doing that. But because my center is Christ, I get to tell the story from a perspective that most people won't. And most people don't even know that half the story was written by a knight and half the story was written by a priest. So no wonder it has such beautiful holy language in it based around the grail. The it, I love the description of it. Again, it's the tension because it's the grail is described as a rock who held in tension the dark and the light and in that holy space of tension gave abundance to the earth. And I'm like, I love that. Like those, that language is stuff we don't even use anymore. You know what I mean? We're like, give me the next teaching. Five steps to being a better man. 12 steps to being another father, a, a good father. And another 25 steps and I'll be a good husband. And it's like, eh, no, nah, you're probably just going to suck most of the time. And it's going to be really painful. Sorry about it. Like that's just the way it works. But here's a really great story to help you see yourself so you don't feel alone in it. Yeah. Wow. We love formulas, man. We don't want story. We want formulas. There ain't no formula in Jesus, man. There's just no formula. It's like, I mean, we're even trying to get people saved by a prayer. You know how I feel about that. I'm like, come on, man. I'm going to enter into eternity after with a repeat after me, like karaoke Jesus. You know what I mean? Like we get all confused when there's no words on the screen. We hate tension. We hate mystery. But our life it exposes us to it constantly. And that reality of being Christ-centered, living in mystery and tension allows me to be a voice to places no one else gets to be a voice. Um, this is so good, man. Yeah, I love this. Just kind of like as a timeout real quick, I'll tell you, like I've, I've done some deep work with, um, I first got exposed to it like in a secular program 
And I was like, this was amazing. This needs to be Christianized somehow, or this needs to be done differently. And um, as I'm kind of building my own things and just kind of, you know, exploring what the Lord's putting on me, um, I heard about another Christian thing. I kind of smirked at one thing you said, because I was explaining it to my uncle, who's a pastor. He's like, oh, you want to do that? He goes, oh, that's like this group. I'm like, what's that group? I never heard about it. He's like, oh, check it out. This guy knows it. So I'm like, I'll just go to it. So I'm fresh off a weekend. I just did a weekend retreat. And uh, there was 30 guys. There are 30 guys. Exactly. It, works, man. it was the same chassis of what I did in the like more personal development program. It was the same exact yeah. chassis, different exercises, and totally redeemed and theologically and biblically yeah. sound. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now I know. I see what they did there. Yeah, so right. very powerful. And very it's, powerful. I mean, there's loads of stuff out there. And that's, I, I have to, again, just stay in my lane. Cause I mean, we're doing 12 guys at a time cause it's, we're going to move and we're going to even shrink it. We're going down to eight. It doesn't pay the bills, dude. You can't pay the bills with eight guys at a time. You have to just own it and believe in it to such a degree. You're like, I'm going to get this. Awesome. Okay. So Jake, tell me, tell me about the fight because you name, you name what you're doing, the fight, you have fight weekends. So I'm going to start with a really simple question. Yeah. Um, who are we fighting? What are we fighting? What are we fighting for? Um, the sort of key to the fight is we go, we're looking for one man, one man equals one marriage equals one family, which means we got one generation. And so we are f most of the time fighting ourselves. And so uh, I love Roar's language again. These guys, I just read a ton. And he says, the first half of your life, you fight the devil. The second half of the life, your life, you fight God. <laughs> And I'm like, I just love that language because on your hero's journey, you're just fighting the devil. Everything is this upward climb, you know, and uh, he even jokes that, you know, if you give a young man the cross, he'll just use it as another ego pursuit, which we're seeing a lot. And so there's a lot of us fighting ourselves and fighting tension and fighting our story and fighting and fighting and fighting. And some of it's really great, but we have to recognize that if we're going to actually fight the fight for our family, we got to fight the version of ourselves that we've been presenting to everyone else for decades. And we have to watch him die. Yeah, We have to watch the imposter, the shadow, whatever name you want to give it. Uh, Brandon Manning calls it the imposter from Abba's Child, one of the best chapters of any book I've ever read. Um, uh, and then, you know, Jungian sort of background would be shadow. You know, some people would call it different things, but I'm just like, we're fighting the version of ourselves that isn't authentic and where our weakness crosses our experience, that's where we'll find our real vulnerability. And what I'm trying to do is fight men through the imposter and through the shadow to get a picture of who they really are because they don't know what they're fighting. So they end up fighting everyone else except for the imposter. So they're fighting their wife. They're fighting their kids. They're fighting some fight out in culture. And it doesn't mean anything because it's not really fighting the thing that really matters, you know? and doing the wrestling that it takes to get a new name. That's so good. What's the consequences of a guy who doesn't take this work on, who never <laughs> gets this piece? Like what happens? I uh, love it. I think uh, we're seeing you, it. Yeah, if you can, this is the way it works. I mean, it, you can go to a thousand books on this stuff and they all have different language for the same thing. Every young boy begins in the ascent. Like they begin in a hero, a heroic journey, not the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. That's a different piece, but we are like on a heroic ascent. That's basically the ages of zero to like, even into your thirties, right? So like we can get all the way into our thirties. Now, somewhere in there, we should be experiencing an initiation. So an initiation in the midst of our heroic journey humbles us to become protectors and providers from the culture from which we came. Okay. So Every initiatory experience was me knowing the story of my tribe, knowing the the unique identity of myself. I mean, some like, you know, vision quest type Native American stuff, they couldn't return until they heard their new name from the great spirit, which I love that language, super offensive to Christianity until we read Revelation and we realize that he's going to give us a stone that has our name written on it, the, the name we were always supposed to be called. So all of these things crash into each other. And what we do is we continue on that ascent until we hit sort of a midlife point, what Roar calls the crisis of limitation, where I end up recognizing that I no longer am going to be able to accomplish all I set out to do in my life 
and part of the things I thought I'd become, I don't have time for anymore. So now I hit this crisis of limitation, resource, age, energy, all that stuff, right? And so I get three choices at that point. And this is the key right here. What happens to a man who actually takes this on and embraces weakness and tension and mystery in their middle life gets three, three things. They either become an old fool, basically saying, I'm going to continue on my hero's journey until I'm 80. Well, now you're no help to anybody because as you continue that ascent, in order to do it in the amount of, of limited uh, energy and limited space and limited time that you have, you end up shoving everyone else down because it's the only way to continue ascending is you got 50, 60, 70, 80 year old men who are building structures that hold everyone else below them because they're still trying to be on their heroic journey that ended three decades ago, but they're not willing to give it up. You know, now... For those that are like, wow, I have, I'm limited. My life sucks. It's over. They begin in the embittered journey. So we have an old fool or we have a bitter fool. <laughs> and the bitter yeah. fool is like, this life sucks. It's all awful. Everyone's yeah. going to die. And you're all, you're all going to burn in hell. It's just like, <laughs> that's the old man who didn't get anything he wanted. Right. didn't right. work out for him. And he wasn't willing to die before he died. Now, the third option is the good one. The third option is the way of the cross. The third option says, I am now limited by time and space and resource and energy. I'm limited in all of these areas and I'm going to embrace it. Because if I die before I die, I never have to die. This is where I begin the letting, grow, letting go process. I just keep letting go. A man who does this well by the end of his life has already practiced dying so much that by the time his physical body is ready to cross over, he fully embraces it without fear and with total courage. Because he's already spent the second half of his life giving his resource away, giving his life away. So by the time he reaches the doors, by the time he gets to that space, he's already, he's good. Because he did it all. He gave it all away. He didn't spend the second half of his life still trying to build something for God or for his family or for whatever. He invested it into the people that were right in his midst. And so he can walk away totally clean, knowing that he's going to hear, well done. I love it, man. This is such a great conversation. We're going deep. This is, um, you know, honestly, you can't get into this conversation easily. It's not easily accessible because it's not being had in a lot of places. The stuff that you're talking about. Um, the dialogue, it's just like, honestly, I've come across this work in the last couple of years and it's really yeah. changed me and it's a progression, right? It never stops. Yeah. It's a oh, path absolutely. of intentionality. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, but so many men don't even know. And we just get a superficial Christianity. We get a superficial understanding and three point sermons and my formula that's still not working for me. And then we're struggling and we end up becoming one of the three guys you just described. <laughs> Right. And what's hard about it is we men are entering into this journey with enough shame and guilt. And so to then stack on a three point sermon or a five point project, they're not really going to get out of it. What they, what the claims are like, this actually is real work. This actually is real dying. This is actually real engagement. It's real integration. It's real diving into like, we sat these men on the beach this weekend. And, um, as the first night we didn't go straight to the house. We ended up having this really magical, beautiful moment where across this lake we were at, like started having a thunder and lightning storm, like across the lake. And we're sitting on this beach, had to walk 150 yards across sand. And we're sitting barefoot, sitting in this space and watching thunder on one side and lightning and the other crystal clear sky and saying, this is where we will sit. We are entering into this with knowing there's a storm on one side, clear, clear sky on the other. And we're going to sit in this tension. We're going to sit in this mystery. We're going to sit in the uniqueness of this moment, knowing that what I am actually created for already lies inside of me. It's just buried under shame and guilt. It's been buried under shame and guilt for so long that we don't even know how to access it anymore. And I, we talk about it as uh, Robert Bly's language is the long bag we drag behind us. So we were born, uh, Alice Miller talks about in her book, uh, The Drama of the Gifted Child, talks about how we're born with 360 degrees of radiance everywhere we go, you know, like little kids just beaming, but our entire lives, part of that light keeps getting sliced off. Hey, be quiet. Hey, be good. Hey, we don't act like that. Then you throw like abuse or triggers or molestation or any of the really big stuff. You start chopping off the light. So by the time we're in our twenties, we've got this, like we, we were born 360 radiance. We were a light on the hill. 
a city that cannot be hidden. Then we're left with like a sliver. But where did all those other versions of me go? Well, they all got tossed in a bag I've been dragging for 20 years. I've been dragging since I was four, five, six, seven, eight. It's versions of me that I actually am, but they didn't get me the love and acceptance I actually needed to survive. So I chopped them off, threw them in a bag, and I've been dragging them around for 20, 30 years. Now we know why men are tired in their 50 and 60s because they've never done any of the work of like grief work, the shadow work behind there to actually open that bag up and deal with what's in there, who I really am. So they're getting like 40, 50, 60. And they're like, I'm tired as hell, man. I don't need five points. Give me authenticity. Somebody tell me how to open this bag, get that energy out of that bag, get it back into my life so I can end fully me. I don't need another project. I don't need another comfort. I don't need hype. I need somebody to look me in the eyes and go, dude, what you just said is bull crap. That is junk, man. And I'm not going to let you buy that anymore. Open that bag and let's talk about what's in there. Let's do the hard work. And then all of a sudden they get invigorated. Their energy, dude, every man this weekend was like, I have never felt more seen in my whole life. This is the deepest I've ever been in my whole life. And it's happening in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Dude, we're, we can't, we cannot sit by and let men drag these bags, waste their energy and slaughter their families in the name of an imposter that's living their life because their light got cut off when they were six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We got to get that stuff back and we have to help them. That is our job. As men who are doing this, we don't have all the answers. Great. Good. You know what somebody needs? They don't need answers. They don't need fixing. No man wants to be fixed. You're just going to piss them off. Don't try to fix men. Sit with the man and ask him a few questions that are really hard and let him squirm in his chair and stay silent until he answers. <laughs> That's coaching right there. That's it. That's yeah. Weird. And it's in that kind of work in holy space with the right mm -hmm. tools. Right. There's nothing a man can't do with that. Let's address this real quick because for, for listeners, I don't know where everybody's at as they hear this. Um, and I just want to talk about, you know, someone might be listening to this. I don't know their age in the faith or, or where, where they come from or, or who's listening at what point in the future. Um, someone might be thinking, hey, I, I thought all that stuff got fixed when I got saved. Like, isn't that what Jesus does? So can you, like, I'd like to hear your perspective because we're talking about the soul realm and the stuff, the trauma, the junk, the hurts, the wounds. And, um, I'll let you, I'll let you sum that up for anyone that's, that might have that thought like, Hey, I, I thought I was good because you are good, but you still have some stuff we have to deal with. Well, dude, I get asked this every time, every time we do this, they're like, wait, wait a minute. Um, isn't that covered in the blood? And I'm like, well, look at it this way. Jesus died to save you from your sin, not your story. Okay. And here's the best example I can give you. And it works for me, which is this. Twofold. Number one, Jesus. So let's first talk about death and darkness, which has become an enemy of the church. And it's not an enemy. It's actually a friend. It actually, all the best miracles in scripture happened in the dark. Jesus was raised from the dead in the dark of a cave, but let's start there. So Jesus gets out of the cave. We all know the story. He, the tomb, the stone in front of the tomb is rolled away. Correct. So then now two, now two chapters later, he walks through a wall to go be with his friends, correct? So, so resurrected body Jesus can walk through walls. So why didn't he just walk out of the tomb with the stone still there? Well, what if it wasn't rolled away so that he could get out, so, but, but so that we could get in? What if we were actually supposed to die with Christ? What if we were actually supposed to get into that empty tomb and lay down with him and let him resurrect us? Because the hard part is my sin has been covered, but my story is still real. So I don't have to pay the cost of the repercussions of my life, but it is still my life. It is still my story. It is still the reality. And people are like, well, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Okay. When Jesus does get resurrected, does walk through the wall, what does he keep? What's the only thing Jesus keeps from pre-resurrection? His scars. That's all he keeps. The only man-made thing in heaven is Jesus' scars. And what does he use those scars for? To destroy doubt. 
So no wonder we're not doing a good job of destroying doubt. We're busy hiding our scars. We can't destroy doubt with good theology. We can't destroy fear with good theology. We can't destroy any of the shame and guilt that people are experiencing with a nice worship song and a three-point sermon. We cannot do it. You know what does it? Here's my scars. Look, been there. I love that reality because my scars are what show off his goodness. And we're busy saying, God delivered from that. No, that's different than still having them on your body and showing them off. Yes, I have been healed from the repercussions of what those scars mean. For Jesus, they should have meant death. Well, now they mean life. He redeems the entire narrative so that you become the handiwork of God. And one of the best, one of the best moments of this for me was in a San Francisco airport, sitting at this bar with these two guys from London, we're watching a football game. And I mean, an actually American football game, but two guys from London, they ended up being bankers. We strike up a conversation. I'll give you this very short version. And I go, we're having this literal, like little dialogue sitting there just hanging out. And they go, eventually, you know, I've asked them, they're bankers. What do you do? They ask me, I go, oh, I travel playing music in churches. I also work with men, do a lot of like, uh, do a lot of inner work with men using Christ at the center, the whole deal. And they have, one of the two guys leans over and he's like, hey, uh, I'm an atheist, just so you know. And I'm like, oh man, didn't really ask, but we're great. You know, <laughs> like, good on you. <laughs> and the other guy goes, dude, like, have you been to this spot? I'm like, yeah, I've been to London. I actually know this spot and this spot. I've been to this church and this church. He's like, oh my gosh, so crazy. I'm like, yeah. He's like, how'd you get into that? I was like, oh, well, my daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and it kind of sent me on this journey, me and my wife and my family. And immediately the atheist speaks up and he goes, he goes, see, that's why I won't believe in God because your, your daughter uh, won't, uh, because your daughter can't walk and children are starving in Africa. That's what he said. And I said, okay, sweet. Do you mind if I address those first, the big one, then the personal one? And I, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know? And I said, sweet, you're a banker. Is there enough money on planet earth to take care of every human being? He goes, yep. I go, okay. Is there enough food on planet earth for everyone to get enough calories so that no one will starve? He says, yes, absolutely. And then I asked him this question, then whose fault is it? Dude starts crying. Wow. And he goes, it's ours. And I said, no, it's not. It's yours. Make it personal. I'm not a banker. I don't have your money. You have your money. Have you helped any kids in Africa? Did you pay for my daughter's surgeries? Did you do any of that? No, it's your fault. And now let's take it. Let's take it personal. I said, my daughter was born with cerebral palsy. It was diagnosed at 15 months. We went through a ton of work trying to figure out who God was in the process of that. Got fired from my church, ended up starting a house of prayer, wrote some songs at the house of prayer. Those got picked up by a label, ended up going and traveling the world for four or five years, ended up still traveling. I travel to this day. Oh my gosh. I traveled unto today. My plane was delayed. I'm not supposed to be here. So I end up traveling, being here now sitting with you, telling you about God in a way you've never heard of him before. Now, when you go home, and you accept Jesus because you're going to after this all happens, you're going to make him Lord and Savior of your life. When you get to heaven and you meet my daughter for the first time because you'll be a credit to her, the, you'll be on her credit, not mine. She's the one that had couldn't walk all those years. When you get to heaven and you look at my daughter walking in perfect, perfect restoration and she walks up to you and says, welcome in. Do you think she's going to be bummed about, bummed out about the 60 to 80 years she walked on earth with not walking and knowing that the price of her not walking is your salvation eternally and forever in heaven with Jesus Christ. Wow. So powerful. Dude, he lost it. Wow. He lost it. I'm like, I'm not getting you to pray a prayer, dude. Go talk to Jesus when you get back to your hotel room tonight. Cause he's real. So when you start talking to him, he'll talk back. But the point is we're not making any of those connections. We're going, God delivered me again. We're back to the duality conversation. Oh, it's this simple. Nope. Jesus blood. It's all covered in Jesus blood. I don't have to look at the eight year old me that was abused. <laughs> Like hell, man, you got to look that kid in the mirror and you got to look at him and deal with the repercussions of abuse, abandonment, rape, all of the addictions. You have to look yourself in the mirror and know that that stuff made you who you are today. But because of the blood of Jesus, you don't have to face any of the ramifications or repercussions of that because you got redemption instead. That's the best news. Jake, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. I'm going to leave it right there. I, I have um, I, I have to get to something else before we wrap up, because I want you to tell the people that are listening, I want you to talk about the fight, how people connect with you. So we're going to drop those links below. But before we do, um, 
just one other thing that I want to know about your day to day. Um, as a man, do you have any daily disciplines, any things that you do part of this to pull through anything that uh, I'm always into, you know, we're, we're here. We want to, we want to be high performers. We want to maximize what we have. And it all comes down to routine, ritual, what we do, who we are, how we perform every day. So I'm um, just curious if you could share a little bit about your routines, your rituals, what you do on a daily basis that power your mission and power what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, I probably, it's going to be some of the same thing you guys probably all would say. I get up at 5 a.m. Um, I head straight to the gym. I basically, and I don't work out crazy hard. I am doing it to keep my body moving and to like really just keep some flexibility. So I do about 45 minutes of uh, weightlifting, different focused on different parts of the body. Then I do swimming. I swim a mile. Um, then I jump in the pool and swim, in a, swim a mile. And that's how I end, come home. And then I do my meditation time. So I sit in meditation, take communion almost every morning. Um, and when I say meditation, I mean the really contemplative prayer. So I'll repeat phrases or, I mean, really simple ones to, um, you know, Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, I mean, I really like, we'll, we'll meditate, just let it sit on my body. Um, I'm really, really big on like, we have to like, we, we have to start recognizing, like, it's one thing to, to push weights and to do working out. It's another to be in touch with your, with your physical body. That's a whole different ball game. And I want to be in touch with this thing. So I want to, I want to listen to it. So sleep and those things. And then like most guys like who do this stuff long-term it's like, uh, then cold shower. So like Wim Hof, that's, you know what I mean? So like, I'm just in the cold shower, try to hold in there for a minute, try to regulate my breathing and get really focused. And then I'll start my work day with um, a podcast or a book, something that'll keep my brain moving. Um, and then I jump into work and I pretty much break for lunch every day with my wife because I work at home. Um, and so we do, and then I'm done, like right now I'll be done. Usually I go till three or four, but I stayed up with you, but that's like, we have a pretty hard cut time. 90% of the time so that the rest of the evening I just spend with family. I appreciate this, man. This is really valuable to me. I love you, bro. This is a powerful Thanks, conversation man. and we are biohacking with Jake Hamilton. I love it. Cold showers, breathing, um, biblical meditation. Yeah, man. That's the way we live. That's, that's the crew that we got listening to us. So Come on. this conversation is crazy valuable. You, Jake, bring us home by just telling us where people can connect with you. We'll drop all the links below. But if people want to learn more about what you do, what you got coming up, and hey, I don't know, maybe there's a special announcement, you're working on a project, or there's something on the music side you want to share, um, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, honestly, right now, we take a little break um, towards the end of the year where we are currently when we're recording this. Um, but we have what I what would what's coming up for next year is we do a few things every year, we're gonna we're doing a fight summit, which comes in January. So that's sort of our larger gathering where men can come and learn about story, learn about mythology, sort of a it's just a primer, like, hey, if you're interested, that's the place to go fight summit January, this one will be in Reading. It's like the third week of January, find all of it at the links below all the websites have all the information. Then from there, we do uh, three times a year, we do Courage Course and Man Talk Monday. Courage Course is basically 15, 16 day pre-recorded dialogue. We have a private Facebook group. We kind of just go after dialoguing the biblical foundations of masculinity. Um, very, very basic, especially a lot of the people who follow me are in that sort of space. So it's a nice bridge to kind of go, hey, let's dialogue about some of these things, but completely from scripture. Then we jump to Man Talk Mondays, which we only take... Um, 15 guys or we took 18 this last time it was a lot so about 15 to 18 guys live zoom every week for eight weeks so we all jump on we check in that's where we start introducing the deep work so some of the inner work some of the story work some of the like what does it mean to carry a long bag what does that look like what what is shadow work what is grief work what does it mean to actually do that work as a man on a regular basis and not just show up to the conference and the hype then the below that is really what we're launching what we do that's our sort of core is the fight weekend and a fight weekend we only take eight to 12 guys maximum and we we it's like all expense paid you just get there we cover everything else you show up with a story having watched the work and we dive in like basically over the course of two days we do maybe 12 to 14 hours of like really deep intense story work where men get to open up and be cared for and contained possibly for some of some men very first time. 
And so that's kind of the big stuff. And then this year, which nobody knows about yet, we're going to be doing our first fight weekend, uh, fight weekend, one flesh. So we're going to be doing our first marriage weekend with eight couples in Napa Valley. Um, and we've got like a really dope setup with there with cottages and a whole thing, but we're going to be doing a lot of the story work stuff with couples. So me and my wife will go and host that. And we're just going to go after it, just see healthy and healed marriages. So, but that's sort of the plan, but all that stuff, you can find out more information at, uh, this is the fight.com or fightweekend.org. Awesome. Any last words for men? Oh, the guys dude. listening. Here's Close it what out. I leave every meeting with it's this, it's this, uh, we call it the blessing. It's, um, originates with a woman, a native American woman, um, from the Northeast of North America, um, from the Eagle clan. Her name is Paul Canese. And she said this at the end of a podcast and I have adopted it as we call it the blessing. And it is, you are the evidence of the strength of your ancestors. There are many things within your lineage that attempted to obliterate all forms of goodness, but you are the living proof that it did not work. Wow. We're going to leave it right there. Jake, it's been an honor. Guys, until next time, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In The Map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.